Hello there, boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of Circling the Bases, probably a part of NBC Sports Edge. I am your host, Colin Henderson. Joining me today, as always, Mr. Christopher Crawford. Chris, happy Thanksgiving, bud. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well, my friend. This is one of my favorite holidays, a chance to watch uh, a lot of football. Of course, right before we started to record, I just saw that the Seahawks game got flexed out of Sunday night football, which uh, it would be lovely for me to say, oh, that's so disrespectful. But actually, it's a big thank you to anyone to not have to watch this horrible horrible football team who are they playing on sunday i'm forgetting they play the 49ers who i mean they're the seahawks beat them the first time yeah. and uh they, I, they're fairly evenly matched but at the same time like nobody needs to watch that yeah. on sunday night football i think i think broncos chiefs which like i like the chiefs by a, a considerable margin better uh is a much more interesting matchup especially from the rivalry perspective than, well, uh, I say, the Seahawks. Chiefs, uh, if you like them by a lot, that means that they're only going to win by three or they're <laughs> yeah. going to lose. Because that's yeah. what, if you uh, if you have our, if you are a fan of betting on NFL games, um, yeah. betting against the Chiefs on the spread is one of the best bets you can make right now. So wow, uh, just hilarious how that ends up working out. Look, yeah. I know that this week, I know it's Thanksgiving, and again for two big eaters like you and I, this is sure. basically a holy day for us. But, <laughs> It is. I, I look at Thanksgiving. I know that that is a nice little bubble of fun. But then mm-hmm. right after that, for me, is Saturday at noon, which is oh, always yeah. the game, which is yeah. my Michigan-Ohio State. Sure. And it is my yearly reminder to get my hopes up, only to have them dashed <laughs> all over again sometime <laughs> in the future. Um, I, I'm, I'm already back on. I'm ready to get hurt again. I am, yeah. I am pumped up. I'm ready to go. I've been watching hype tapes all week. Sure. That is yeah. and is only early in the week, and I am ready to go. And I expect to uh, spend the second half of my day sobbing <laughs> softly into a pillow somewhere. But that is besides the point. <laughs> it's that it's going to happen at some point. Dang it. And it's going to happen this week. Uh, I, I, you know, if this game was happening about four weeks ago, I would have liked Michigan a lot more. But how good Ohio State is. Well, I mean, that yeah. throttling of Michigan State last <laughs> that weekend was, was I mean, that one was of the more really embarrassing impressive. things I've ever yeah. seen. That yeah, was bad. That was, that was, it was very impressive for Ohio State and uh, fraudulent for Michigan State. Yes. Sorry I to say it. Oh, yes. It's, it's fair to say. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, you'll know exactly my. Uh, my state of well-being at about 3 p.m. <laughs> on Saturday. Know that anyone out there, you'll know exactly where I'm at, depending on uh, how totally the score fair. of that game goes. Totally but fair. coming up on the show today, uh, I don't know if you've heard, Chris, but uh, Wander, your boy, our boy, just got paid. Just got the Brinks truck backed up on his front lawn. We're going to talk about that a whole bunch. Uh, the Giants try and run back last year's rotation. They bring back two of their five starters from last year. And a new reliever heads to the south side of Chicago. And then finally, Chris and I will have a mock draft to end the show. Emphasis on the mock part because it's ridiculous. But we are going to snake draft our favorite Thanksgiving foods. That's right. One entree, three sides, one dessert. Stick it right here to the end of the show. We are going to be having... Probably far too lengthy a conversation about Thanksgiving food. <laughs> but before we do get there, the NFL season is in full swing, and the NBC Sports Predictor app, powered by PointsBet, has you covered with Sunday Night 7. 
This week, you'll have a chance to win $1.1 million. Chris, that's right. You heard me right. 1.1 mil. It starts Thanksgiving night between the Bills and Saints. And starting on Sunday night, we're giving away $1 million every week for the remainder of the regular season. And as Chris just alluded to, it is now Chiefs-Broncos. So make sure you are there. That game will start our $1 million every week on Sunday night seven. So download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor to play. Now let's get to those top stories. And let's start with Wander Franco because, yeah, let's start there. Um, the, in, the player who has less than one full year of service time to his name just signed a 12-year contract that guarantees him $185 million. That deal is worth up to a maximum of $223 million. It is the largest contract in Ray's history, which is kind of like saying you're like the <laughs> tallest guy from my town. Like it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not a lot of tall people. So, sure. but it 223 million ain't nothing to scoff at. Franco had a nice little start to the season, uh, to his major league career, hit 288 with seven homers and 39 RBIs last season, finished third in rookie of the year voting. And then in the postseason, granted only four games, very small sample size, but hit 368 with two homers and four RBIs in four postseason games. So he just looks ready for the spotlight. This was obviously way ahead of schedule for the Rays here, as he, was set, he wasn't set to be arbitration eligible until 2024. It wasn't set to hit free agency until 2027. Well, the Rays got ahead of that game and locked him in until 2033. Chris, I know that both of us fully believe in Wander Franco long term. How do you feel about this contract? I love it. And I think it's great for the Rays. And I think it's great for Franco as well. Look, it's, it buys out a lot of service time. And now Franco won't hit free agency until he's 31. So this is look at 31. He's certainly, if he's the player that we think he is, can still get another massive six or seven year deal contract, maybe even more depending like if this guy ends up winning the best players in baseball, you know, you're going to have to pay him into his 40s, even if he's not playing for you into his 40s. That's just the way that these things work. I love it. I think it's huge for Tampa Bay to be able to lock down a cornerstone piece. And look, those numbers you mentioned which are very solid numbers. But as a 20-year-old for him to do that mm-hmm. and the on-base streak that he had yeah. and just how ready he looked, I think it's huge because this is this is a, a message basically that, hey, we are we are going to – be competitive because we are going to have one of the best players in baseball playing shortstop Mm -hmm. for us for a very long time. Now, look, um, I guess the one concern I have about Franco long-term is defensively. Like he ranked 13th in the outs above average. So I do wonder at some point he's going to have to move over to second base, but with that offensive skill set, it doesn't really matter. Like he has a chance Mm -hmm. to be a top five fantasy player for a very, very long time. That's not next year. I wouldn't doubt it if it happened in 2023, 2024, and for a very long time after that. I I think it's really cool, and it's nice to see Tampa Bay spending some gosh dang money. Yeah, it's nice to see them open up that checkbook. Somewhere there's a little butterfly that popped out of one of those uh, someone's wallet that was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I can can escape now. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I think this is a great move for the Rays. It's I mean, this is the Rays version of Fernando Tatis Jr., and this is their version of them signing him to a long-term contract to lock him in for forever. And more importantly, and I think this is the the spot that comes to mind, if you want to compare those two players, 
Frank, the, the Rays got to Franco before he had his kind of one full excellent season. And then you kind of have to tack on another hundred million the way that Fernando Tatis and the San Diego Padres did this right. year. They almost get him in just under value right now. Whereas if you, if we're having this exact same conversation 12 months from now, this, right. this contract might not look the, it might not happen, or at least those right. dollar figures or years might be a lot different. So I like that from the race perspective. I will say again, Franco, he is leaving some version of money on the table somewhere in this conversation just oh, by sure. how good we think he can be. I right. mean, you look at what the he destroyed the previous record for um, uh, for largest contract ever for a player with less than one full year of service time. That was right. Ronald Acuna Jr., who signed an eight-year, $100 million contract, which is criminal. It's and so he signed that in 2019. And obviously, this one basically doubles it. So yeah. that shows you just how big this contract is and how not in the norm this is in baseball world. But the, for the players that deserve it, for the players that are that good, I mean, Tatis signed his major money contract. I mean, Acuna signed his that's wildly undervalued, but it's still $100 million over eight years. And sure. now, now Franco's going to get up there close to 200. I mean, all of these guys signed at age 22 or younger, and mm -hmm. they basically locked in the, the front end and prime of their careers to their specific team rather than play the arbitration game, rather than play the – um, you know, the free agent market is coming up sure. soon game, all of that. Right. I think it's a great move. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a great move. And, you know, you're, you kind of wonder who the next young star is going to be, um, to get locked up. Uh, the immediate thought would be Vladimir Guerrero jr. But I don't think he's signing a contract like this. Yeah. For one thing, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Has Vladimir Guerrero money. You know what I mean? Like that. I don't know for sure that like daddy is taking care of little Vladdy jr. But at the same time, I know that they had different – these players definitely grew up under different yeah. circumstances. Now, Franco, he he got a $3.8 million signing bonus when he signed, but that is a pittance compared to – like that is not going to set someone like this for life compared to uh, some of these other players. I'm not asking right. you to cry for Wanda Franco for getting $3.8 but it's just different. But, yeah, it's it just really – it sets an interesting precedent too. these, these young players, like the Scott Boris guys, they, they just aren't going to sign these type of contracts. Yep. That's just not going to happen. But Franco's going to be in Tampa Bay for a very long time. Or so we think and we have seen Tampa Bay sign guys mm -hmm. to extensions only to move them uh, at a different point. But I have to think this is a little bit different because there just aren't very many players like Wander Franco that come around. I'm very curious how this contract is signed with the overall perspective that the CBA expires on December 2nd, right. because I'm curious if we talked about arbitration eligible after 2024 and free agent eligible after 2027. Right. We say that with this current CBA in our mind, That's I'm point. curious what that means, you know, once we finally get a new CBA. So mm. maybe this is one of those conversations where both sides sat down and said like, look, you might leave both of us might be leaving some money on the table here in terms of like what we could theoretically get. But like, like let's lock this in now when we know what the rules are rather than see what the rules end up being three, four months down the road. That's a really good point. That, I, I mean, cause we don't know if, if that structure is going to exist. And if the MLBPA is smart, that contract, this situation will not exist. Like mm -hmm. the three years, six years situation that, 
most guys come up through. Sometimes it's two five, but that that shouldn't be like the, if the MLBPA is really steadfast about making changes, that is a system that they should be looking very hard at changing. So yeah, that's a really good point. It and it's of course it's an impossible thing to say. It's it's also interesting to think about. Wonder Franco would get if he was just on the open market if he's signing this deal because I have to think it's more. I have to think that if you had the chance, if you were the Yankees yeah. and you could have Wander Franco join your organization and you'd be looking for more. T- look, like you're buying out the the big thing here for for Franco is buying out those years where he's going to be making well below market value and then mm-hmm. arbitration which gets you closer to that to that market value, closer. but really not. It's closer, yeah. yeah. So I, it'd be really interesting to see like what could happen when Wander Franco hits the market. It also brings me back to like Shohei Otani. I can't help but wonder what could have happened if we had the old days of the you know the Daisuke Matsuzakas and those guys, what they could have gotten on that open market. And we'll yeah. see Otani on the market someday pretty soon, and uh, I'll be, that'll be a very, very fun one. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. When, when we get to the new CBA, when eventually it's signed and all the chips and all the cards fall as they may, Fingers this will crossed. be one of those that we go back and look at and just see like, all right, how does how does this contract now change in the new lens of the new CBA? That'll be very Absolutely. fascinating to look at. Absolutely. Let, let's talk about Kendall Graveman, former Mariner, former Astro, played on both teams last year. He signs a three-year, $24 million contract with the White Sox. Heads to the south side. Um, he, I find this very interesting when we look at him because this is a guy who, while a solid reliever, really kicked it up a notch last year. Huge yep. uptick in velocity. Posted his best strikeout percentage of his career. Went from 19.5 to 27.5. I mean, like a major jump up in punch outs. Um, and he was a huge part of, obviously, the Mariners before they traded him and then a huge part of the Astros as they moved into the postseason as they tried to use him as the bridge between their starters and Ryan Presley at the back end. Now he obviously goes to a White Sox team that has Liam Hendricks locked into the closer role and technically still has Craig Kimbrell on roster. He has accepted a qualifying offer, although by all metrics, it does seem like the White Sox are trying to move him at some point here, which would then open up the eighth inning role for Graveman. If, he does not, if Kimbrell ends up staying, then I guess the seventh inning role or kind of swingman role is more Graveman's spot to have. Either way, I'm not sure from a fantasy perspective if Graveman will. I think this is a pretty good hit to his fantasy just because there's no chance short of injury that he's ever going to take over a closing role. But for a on field signing, I think Graveman to the White Sox is a great fit. And I think this is one that kind of makes perfect sense for what the White Sox are trying to do as they move from, you know, hopeful contender to now like truly one of the blue bloods of the, of the baseball world. Yeah. I, I really like this signing for him. And I think this is really a kind of a steal, like eight, 8 million AAV is a well worth it for as good as Kendall Graveman uh, was last year. And let's keep in mind that this is, was really his first chance of being a full-time short inning reliever. Mm-hmm. And to say he handled it well is the understatement of understatements. I mean, you look at his uh, percentile rankings, you know, average X velocity, well above average, uh, was especially good at avoiding barrels, 86 percentile, not like an elite strikeout guy, 45% with uh, 
percentage isn't like elite, but it, it's certainly good enough when you're avoiding mm-hmm. as much contact as he does. You know, his fantasy value, I think there was some kind of hope that maybe like a Kendall Graveman would go sign to be a closer somewhere. Yeah. That's obviously not happening now because Liam Hendricks is is going to be that closer unless he gets traded. Um, I think the big thing here is this. I mean, K- Craig Kimbrell was going to get traded anyway, but this like just kind of solidifies it mm-hmm. like because it doesn't make sense. For to have those three as as nice as it is to have that as your seven, eight, nine, as it would be. The White Sox have plenty of arms who could be that seventh inning guy. With now you have your Graveman as your eighth, and you can play mix and match a little bit, and you can give Hendricks some rest and have Graveman with some save opportunities there. But you're not having all three. They're, they're, as much as the, the White Sox budget should be just fine with all three of them, it's almost impossible for me to imagine that Crimble isn't traded. I have to imagine, ironically, that he's going to get traded for like a second baseman or a right fielder, which, of course, Kimbrel was traded for Nick Madrigal, yeah. who uh, was that second baseman of the future until they made this move. But I really do think that uh, that Workman or Graveman is going to be a very nice uh, addition for that team, be a nice seventh inning, eighth inning guy, a guy who could go multiple innings if he needs to. It just would have been kind of nice if you would have signed on to be a closer somewhere, even if it was a, a mid-tier team because I think his fantasy value would have gone up significantly if that was the case. Yeah. If he ended up on a Phillies, if he ended yeah. up on a, you know, a, a, Great I want to say, yeah. Like, I mean, hell you want to say the Cubs out there. Like if you want to put him on a couple different teams, like he sure. has, uh, he has enough intrigue about him that he could have maybe been in the conversation mm-hmm. for like top 12 closer, like in a, in a 12 team league, Absolutely. A CP1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that could have been fine if you were on a different team. But obviously on this team, that's not the case. He has kind of, I mean, to to make it, he's got like Chad Green, Devin Williams kind of upside to him where like he could be a really good setup guy, get the occasional save, but I don't see him ever having massive standalone value. If you're in a holds league, I think Graveman is going to be in a really nice spot. If you're not in a holds league, I don't know if Graveman's going to be on a roster short of injuries. No. and like you said, when when you talk about Kimbrel, Kimbrel almost assuredly going to get traded. If not, that's just a lot of money and a lot of manpower that you've really added to the back end of your bullpen. Okay. But it makes a lot of sense for Kimbrel to move and then them to be able to kind of replenish a little bit of a farm system or fill a hole that is more needed on that team yeah. rather than kind of be gluttonous at the back end of the pen. So yeah. that, that feels more right to me. Yeah, and you know, you could – hold on to Kimbrell and wait and see what sure. team desperately needs a closer at some Always point. You, know, you, you could do that. Um, but I do also wonder if maybe there's some budgetary things going on where they, they maybe need to move Kimbrell. And there are plenty of teams. This is not a great closer market. There's Rachel Iglesias mm-hmm. who, you know, uh, you're going to have to give up a first, you're going to have to give up a high pick in order to get, it's still not, still not quite used to how the system works, but mm-hmm. uh, they're going to have to give up a high pick to, uh, get Iglesias, maybe that's not as appealing as trading for Kimbrell, who, I mean, the value is going to be there because Craig Kimbrell, when he's at his best, is an elite reliever. But one year of him, and you know the White Sox basically have to move him. I don't think that you're going to have to give up as much as, say, your second-round pick if you sign Rachel Iglesias. So, yeah, that'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, especially knowing that Kimbrell comes with one year and then you don't exactly. have, you're not you're not locked into anything past that. So, exactly. I mean, it's going to be an expensive one year depending yeah. on what team he goes to, but it's one year. So, you're right. You don't have to worry too much about locking into anything long term. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk about the San Francisco Giants here before we head to the break. They bring back 40% of their rotation from a year ago as they bring back uh, Anthony DiSclefani and Alex Wood, both in the last basically 48 hours. I think the Alex Wood, as of us recording here at 720 Eastern on Tuesday, I think that one is being finalized. I don't think it's officially, I haven't gotten an official final word, but mm-hmm. certainly looking like that's the case. Uh, Wood looks like he's going to get a two-year deal worth more than $10 million per season. And Di Scalfani gets a three-year, $36 million contract. Uh, let's talk about both these players quick. Uh, Di Scalfani coming off probably his best season as a professional, a 3.17 ERA, 1.09 whip, 152 to 42 K-walk ratio over 168 innings. That's 31 starts. Uh, let's look at those numbers individually here. First off, 31 starts for Di Scalfani is phenomenal. That's just something that we haven't really seen a whole bunch from him and getting 168 innings on a good team with that kind of ERA and that kind of ratio has just been everything that we've wanted to see from him for the last couple of years, especially on the Reds and just were not able to ever really see it come to fruition. So he signs a three-year deal worth 36 million. So 12 mil a year, he will turn 32 at the start of next season. So 32, 33, 34, that's, not, that's pretty nice for the Giants to move in here for $12 million a year and lock him in because he looked like such a nice fit on that team. And then Alex Wood, he'll be 31 at the start of next season, a three, uh, 3.83 ERA, 1.18 whip, 152 strikeouts, and 139 innings. He looks really good as well last year. Injury issues have been one of the biggest things for Alex Wood. So this contract, I think, kind of signifies that two years, just over $10 million a year. That's the kind of uh, buy low on a guy who has a lot of injury history, while a player kind of says, you know what, I'll take what I can get here in this market. Yeah, I think these are, you know, about where uh, I would have expected them to get cash wise. And it makes sense for the Giants to just kind of go like, hey, we know what we've got in these guys. It's weird to say about Wood because you really actually never know what you have in him because of injury history. But you know what he's capable of. You know that there when he's going to be on the mound. And at this price, I mean, you certainly want him to be on the mound. But it's not going to kill you if Alex Wood Mm -hmm. only is able to make 20 to 25 starts or even 15 starts compared to somebody you're expecting 25 to 34. Um, I really like this, Clefani. It's it's a... um, He's not quite the same upside pitcher that he was with the Reds, but he's a pretty solid, you know you're going to get six innings, two or three run starts. I, I think he's extremely underrated and a very nice fantasy streamer. Wood, there's a little more volatility, but I, I like the Giants doing this. I, I have to imagine that they are going after still one more big fish, and maybe that big fish is re-signing Kevin Gossman, but I imagine at least one more starter is going there. But if after you won 106 games, and if you can sign guys for a combined $22 million a year in these two mid-rotation arms, I think that's a nifty piece of business. Yeah, I think it's exactly what you expect from a team like the Giants. And I think, yeah. Ray, I, I think um, Gossman should still be at the top of that list, like you said, because – Again, all all three of these players, kind of similar in the sense that like had minor success elsewhere, came mm-hmm. to the Giants and really found a home, really found a spot that fit them. And I think it benefits not only the team, but also each one of these individual players to go back to a spot that they've had success at, that they can run it back and build upon something rather than start over fresh, new team, right. new pitching coach, new all the rest of that stuff. I think this makes a ton of sense for 
the Scalfani. I think it makes a ton of sense of Wood. And I think yeah. it makes a ton of sense for Gossman as well at the end of the day if theoretically that is the right contract that can work for both sides. But right. this is a nice spot for the Giants. They know that it going into next year, the Giants maybe have one of the most interesting like seesaw teetering roles that you could possibly have out there. Knowing that yep. you had 106 wins this year and you had a franchise year, but yep. you also know that the Dodgers are the Dodgers and the yep. Padres are going to come back better than they should way better, way now. better next year than they are. So how much do you, and, and, and again, if you want to look at more, like they re-sign Brandon belt, they lose Buster Posey. So right. how much do the giants kind of push their chips to the center? How much do they believe in yeah. what they did last year, moving forward into next year and the year after that? I think it's very fascinating when we look at the giants into this offseason, kind of going like, if you are in charge are you being aggressive with the team that you have, or are you looking at that like that was a special year? I can't mm-hmm. imagine we get that again. I think it's probably a combination of both. Like the Giants might actually end up being as good of a baseball team as they were last year and win 15 less games. And that's yeah. 91 wins. That's a really good mm-hmm. year. It's just that I, the, the, the Giants kind of had a perfect storm of. Yeah the Arizona Diamondbacks being 10 pounds of, you know what, in a five pound bag and Colorado being equal to that on the road, especially. Um, But, you know, and then a a decent team at home, but certainly not a great team. And the Padres just having absolutely every possible thing that can go wrong, go wrong. But you look at that roster, it's still a very good roster. I mean, losing Posey, I think is a big deal. Like he was really, 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 really good last year. And he also had something unquantifiable in terms of leadership yes. and in terms yes. of working with that pitching that staff. It, it, it's something that we really can't measure. And it's, it's hard to talk about because like it's subjective how much that really matters. I mean, there have been years where Buster Posey and when he's been healthy that the giants have been terrible. So mm-hmm. it, it can't mean too much, but it's also something that you can't really discount because there's a reason why the Giants have won three World Series with Buster Posey and also, you know, were extremely good last year and unfortunately had to play the Dodgers in a wild card series, which is super unfair. But long story short, if I'm the Giants, I'm going for it, man. I'm 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 trying to re-sign Chris Bryant. I am definitely trying. If I can't get um, Gaussman to come back, I'm all over Robbie Ray. I'm all over, you know, like a Marcus Stroman, someone like that to, to make this a, a more complete rotation. Um, I think they could be World Series contenders, and it certainly helps to bring these two guys in, but you got to do more. Okay, I'll ask you two questions. I agree with all of that, by the way, and I love the idea of Robbie Ray to San Francisco. That just feels kind of right to me. Um, I would like, like if Gossman doesn't sign there, Robbie Ray should be the guy they aim. That seems perfect. They've done such a great job with reclamation projects that that they've worked with it. All right, two questions, and I'll ask you them quick. DiSclefani or Wood, which one? do you prefer next year fantasy wise and okay. two, you being our prospect guy. And we're talking about the giants. Now give me a little idea of what we should expect from Joey Bart filling in the shoe, uh, filling in for Bussy Posey next year, which I assume will be his job. Okay. So the second part, Joey Bart, I think is going to be just fine. I just think he's a better real life player than a fantasy one. Like he's a solid defender, some mixed reports kind of on like the pitch framing and working with pitchers, but not nothing like 
like this is not um, like the Jesus Montero mm-hmm. thing where you, it's just yeah. never going to work out that type of thing or Gary Sanchez early in his career mm-hmm. where he just really struggled with that type of stuff. But I think he could be a very solid 270, 20 homer, you know, how many RBI depend on how good right. the lineup is, but he can be a certainly good, uh, a decent player as for Descalfani and Wood. If I had to have one on my roster all year, it would be Descalfani. Okay. If I had to have one as a potential streamer, I think it might be Wood because you're more likely to get that 10-11 strikeout mm-hmm. game from Wood than you are from Descalfani, um, which is kind of my long way of saying that uh, neither one of these guys really intrigues me that much in terms of fantasy relevance, but it certainly helps the Giants quite a bit. And there will be times there where you're going to want to use both pitchers. Sure. But if you are if you have that chance to have Wood against a really crappy lineup, he has does have that chance to have give you six innings and eleven strikeouts. Descalfani, not so much. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I actually, I think I agree with you one hundred percent there. I think if you looked at one game, I think we could talk about Alex Wood. If you're telling me a whole year, I think I want yeah. Descalfani as well. Sure. And with Bart, I think Bart ends the season as someone that like you could be. He could be your starting and only catcher somewhere between midway, like the second half of next season. Like I can see possible. that being the case. I wouldn't draft him as your number one catcher starting next year, but I certainly could see him punching his way up to top 10, top 12 fantasy catcher levels by all-star break next season. We could be talking about that late next year. If not, maybe 2023 as an option for him to be that kind of fantasy catcher. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's he's a very solid backstop and – um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect fireworks and I will say this too, rookie catchers, there, yeah. there is a history and it's one of the reasons we'll talk a lot about Adley Rutschman in the mm-hmm. coming months, but it, it's one, it's a one thing you have to be a little bit cognizant of for every Mike Piazza. There are a lot of rookie backstops who really struggle in that first full year. Yeah. Fantasy catchers and fantasy tight ends. The first yeah. year is yeah. just a genuinely rough year. And then yeah. we have to kind of, you have to learn your blocking. You have to learn your pitch framing. Otherwise yeah. you're not going to stay in the game. Great point. With the fantasy hockey and basketball seasons underway and playoff pushes in full swing in your fantasy football leagues, make sure you are signed up for NBC Sports Edge Plus. Signing up for Edge Plus gets you access to our fantasy football, basketball, and hockey sections in addition to our incredible baseball and sports betting content. And as a reward for our listeners, be sure to use promo code BASES10 to get 10% off any premium subscription package, either monthly or annually, regardless of tier. So to find your edge, make sure you are signed up for NBC Sports Edge. Plus, the promo code again is BASES10. So now, enough of the real, real stuff. Enough of the fantasy stuff. Let's, let's, get, into some, let's get into some fun. And like I said at the beginning of the show, Chris and I are going to spend the rest of the show drafting a Thanksgiving meal. We've got one entree, three sides, and one dessert. Snake drafted up. Chris, you start us off because I'm a nice guy. I'm thankful for you. So you start us off with this. Uh, give me a draft. We're doing, again, one entree, three sides, one dessert. Go for it. Okay, so my first pick is a pretty easy one, and I'd be surprised if this is even controversial. It's stuffing or dressing, whatever you want to call it. It is the goat. It is the best. The thing I love about stuffing, other than the fact that it's delicious, is it's one of the things that's kind of hard to get wrong. And even if it's too wrong, okay, if it's too mushy, 
if you cook it right, if you've cooked it in like your turkey with, uh, and you did the actual proper stuffing, you're still getting those good juices and stuff like that. If you cook it too light, okay, it's croutons. It's still pretty darn good. Um, you can put the only thing I would say with my stuffing is I don't love a real crispy celery in it. I know a lot of people really like to put the like the celery and stuff like that. I think that's doing too much. You don't need a bunch of texture with with your your dressing or your stuffing. Um, it's one of my favorite foods. It is. Uh, I'll load up and you know I'll take. I'll tell you that like on my second side that like I I love all of these things. Like they're delicious, but stuffing to me is the goat. Now I'll ask you just so for specification. We're talking bread stuffing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you can do, you can, we can, we can talk about like the, the different types of stuffing, like, like the cornbread and stuff like that. But I think the crouton stuffing is mm. the very best option and you can put pretty much anything in it, but um, yeah, give it to me, give it to me now. I want some stuffing right now. Yeah. I'm all for that. I have absolutely no issues with that. You can, I, I'm sorry, just bread and carbs in any way, shape or form. I'm all for it. <laughs> it's also, I am staunchly anti-celery. If you are pro-celery, I don't want to talk to you. Like staunchly anti-celery in chicken salads and tuna salad in whatever it is. If you're using it for texture, stop it. Just stop sure. it. Stop it. Put some nuts in it or something. I don't care. That's yeah. how that'll work. Um, for me, sidewise, and this is I could have if Thanksgiving was only this, I could be totally fine. And that is mashed potatoes and gravy. Nice. There is few things more home. I think if you made a top, if I made in general a top five foods that I like to eat, mashed potatoes might be right there with it. Like I can't wait I to get old too. because I don't need to yeah. worry about my teeth. Like I got mashed yeah. potatoes. <laughs> because like mashed potatoes and gravy is just, it's, it's, it's savory ice cream. It's just so something good. that sits there and you just put a spoon in over and over again. And then like you realize you finished off the bowl in two seconds. Like and that is the kind of, like psychopath I am for mashed potatoes and gravy. So yes, if, if you tell me that all I get out of Thanksgiving is mashed potatoes, I'd be perfectly content. I'll sit on the couch, watch football and just mash those in. I'm all good with that. It's so good. And you know, like I'm just good with mashed potatoes. Like, you know, a little gravy on the side sure. is nice too. Like, especially if it's like a good gravy, but like, I don't need to drown my like. There are some foods that you need to drown with gravy. Mashed potatoes is not one of them, but yeah, that's it. That's an excellent first pick for sure. All right, so I'll go with this. So for for posterity's sake, we we separated turkey from turkey white meat and turkey dark meat. I'm drafting the dark meat now with my number two pick. Uh, I know some people argue this point. Look, white meat inherently is too dry. You gotta, you have to put gravy on it. I mean, unless it's cooked perfectly. And look, there are some phenomenal chefs out there. I'm not gonna turn you down. But if your turkey's not cooked perfectly, white meat tends to get a little drier, which means you kind of have to put some gravy or something on it. Give me the dark meat. Dark meat's always juicy, ready to go. Um, give me a turkey leg and some mashed potatoes in my first two picks, and I am set on the couch. I am ready to go. <laughs> that does sound pretty darn good right about now. Uh. For my two, I'm going to pay, take my next two sides. Um, I'm going to go mac and cheese. So okay. it's funny when we're going mac and cheese because we don't have mac and cheese for uh, at our Thanksgiving, but I'd really like it to be at my Thanksgiving because <laughs> um, it's really good. Like macaroni and cheese is really good. It's interesting that we were talking about too because there was just something on Twitter that uh, – 
Judon for the Patriots was talking about how he doesn't like mac and cheese. There was like a big Twitter thing about like he doesn't like mac and cheese. And he said, uh, all it is is noodles and cheese. And I'm like, yeah, that's all it is. It's noodles and cheese. You had me at noodles and cheese. That's a a compliment, not an insult, man. Like like a good mac and cheese. Like you can get it wrong if you – I hate overcooked pasta, which is why um, a a certain chain that probably won't be advertising with us, um, I can't go to. Um, Let's just say that a lot of people like to uh, take a tour of Italy when they go to this restaurant, but I can't eat there because they overcook every single piece of pasta as an Italian. I hope you can agree with me. On I, can't, I can't even, I can't even walk past the place fast enough. All right. You kidding yeah. me? As an Italian, yeah. that is borderline sacrilegious. Yeah. But so I like my, I like my pasta a little more al dente and like a good mac and cheese. My mom actually makes a mac and cheese where we, she puts caramelized onions and bacon and uh, blue cheese in it. And it's really, really good. I know blue cheese okay. isn't for everybody, but I really like it. And so for my third pick, and I know this one is volatile, but I'm going to take green bean casserole. And I will answer the caveat. You have to get this cooked right. Like stuffing, I, I went over that, like mm-hmm. the safety of stuffing, really, really good at uh, a high floor and a high ceiling. Mac and cheese, um, a little bit less of a floor, super high ceiling still. Green bean casserole has a super high ceiling, but a super low floor. If you overcook it and if yes, it's just mush, it's disgusting. I like it. I also will admit I like it with the uh, the the Frito fake fake you know what onions on top of it. I, I do enjoy it with that. But like mushroom gravy or whatever type of gravy you want to use, and if you cook the green beans well, if you cook them where they're crispy but not like um, mm-hmm. too crispy and not like you can't make a mush. It can easily be green bean casserole can go so wrong. But it, when it's good, it can go so right, and that's why I got to take him with my third pick. Hard to argue that. All right, because I, I, I look, I prefer my green beans non-casseroled. I prefer sure. like my green beans just regular without that's the whole fair. like casserole pan. But you know, if 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 only one's on the table, I'm gonna have a little bit of casserole on it. Do you All do right. you put the bacon in the green beans? Do you use the like when you're cooking it up? Do you put the uh, a little bacon or lardons on there? Yeah, yes, there I'm all go. for that. All right, I go. mean, well, first off, you can put that in anything, and I'm all for it. But yes, nice. also in the ca- in the green bean casserole, that is more than welcome. A yeah. little bit of that plus some breadcrumbs, put it all together. I'm all very happy with it. Uh, let's go with my two here. Ooh, all right. So I have my entree, and I have one side. So I'm going back to back sides here. Oh, and this one's easy for me. Cornbread slash corn. Any any corn in any version ever, all nice. about it. Just yeah. all about it. Pop it, great. Roast it, great. Whatever corn is, cook it in a bread, all for it. Just corn, yeah. corn, corn. If you tell me I'm walking away from this draft with turkey, mashed potatoes, and corn, that was my top three. So I'm already – I'm off to nice. a great place. Give me that, and then – all right. Now, now we get to some – some harder stuff. I know that I'm technically kind of vibing too much. Uh, I want to say sweet potatoes or candied yams, but like, am I going mashed potatoes and candied yams slash sweet potatoes for it? Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it because it's All the right. best thing on this menu. Yeah. Uh, give me candied yams on this. Look, it's yeah. sugar and starch. It's hard for you to go wrong on that. It's yeah. sugar and starch. And, um, 
also, while mashed potatoes and gravy are great on its own, uh, dipping some turkey into some candied yams, that's, uh, that's, that's half my meal right there. So, yeah, give me candied yams. So that's the only food on here other than um, we, we kind of made a list of stuff right here. The, the, the only two things I really don't like for Thanksgiving are cranberry sauce and candy dams. And it'll kind of get into why my uh, dessert pick is not something that is necessarily conventional. But like what's weird about candy dams is which is it's, a, uh, it's similar to a sweet potato. Like I don't like sweet potatoes mushed up. But I love sweet potato French fries. Is that a weird thing? Or is that like, is it explainable because it's a little more crispy and a little more? I'll, I'll let you have it because yeah. I believe in texture. And, sure. And, you know, yeah. and my favorite word of all time, mouthfeel. There Maybe you know. my favorite word of all time. <laughs> Hands down, it's in the short list. Yeah. Mouthfeel is one of my favorite just because sure. it's hilarious every time nice. anyone ever says it. Nice. Especially if you mean it on purpose. Like if you're yeah. actually saying it, I'm like, oh my God, it's the funniest thing. Yeah, but I'll, I'll allow you to have that because I, I do believe in that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Although my mom is one of those who's like, she won't, she'll never eat a pea in her life, but pea soup's her favorite soup. Like, I don't know how that works. So like, that's weirder to me than yours. Yeah. yeah. There's man, there's a lot of sides. Like I'd like to pick too. like dinner rolls, like a good dinner roll. Like, and then like, you can put like, a little piece of your turkey in there, maybe drench a little gravy on it. Like that's that's such a good one. Um, but I got to take the entry, so I'll take turkey, white meat, and like, look, there's other things you could have. And I know white meat isn't everybody's favorite, but if you cook the turkey right, yeah. white meat can be really good. And the right way to cook a turkey, in my personal opinion, is to put it in a fryer. Now you got to be real careful. First of all, please don't. NBC sports is not liable if you burn your house down, but we, we just aren't like, and you, there is some risk that you could take with this stuff. You got to be real careful that that Turkey is thought out, but if you fry it or smoke it, it's so good. Like so, so much more succulent than just cook, putting the thing in the oven. Yeah. I think it's really good. I think people who don't like Turkey just have never had it cooked right. And I'd still prefer the dark meat. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, at my family's house, I am going to always, always, always make sure that I get at least one of the legs. And I'm sorry, there are there are people who probably deserve it more than me, but no one likes it more than me. Like that yeah. turkey leg is so good. I'd love to go to Disney someday and uh, get one of those turkey legs that I see. Well, Chris, you just want it more, all right? Yeah, I do. Look, I do. Look, I it's a family gathering, which means yeah. that if you want food, you got to go elbows out to the table. Like, yeah. I mean, you got to box out if you want to get what you want. At least yes. that's the way it works in my family. So, Absolutely. yeah, if you, want your, if you want that turkey leg, sorry, <laughs> Uncle John, like you're getting an elbow to the chest. Like I'm getting <laughs> yeah. a turkey leg. There's only two of them. Absolutely. And then my dessert, uh, I'm going with a chocolate cream pie. Now, here's the thing that's weird about me. First of all, I don't like hot fruit. So apple pie, um, cobbler, those type of things, they're just automatically out the door. Okay. I don't like pumpkin. So pumpkin pie is out the door. But my grandma makes homemade chocolate cream pie from scratch. And I know everybody says their grandma is like the best dessert cook in the world. But my grandma is the best dessert cook in the world. In fact, She's at literally at the age of 91, basically forced into making these pies for like certain church events and stuff like that. And we all get mad, but it's like, then she makes one for us and we're like, oh, never mind. You're not yeah. retiring. <laughs> never mind. You have to do it. But a good <laughs> chocolate cream pie. Now, 
Chocolate cream pie, it's very important that you're not using instant pudding in this stuff, man, because yes. it is just – then it's just – don't get me wrong. I love chocolate pudding, and I'll eat some Jello. Like if you uh, make it for me, I prefer it refrigerated. Um, but like I'll eat that. But the, the key to a good chocolate pie is to get the unsweetened chocolate – by the way, biting into an unsweetened chocolate bar is one of the worst experiences of my yeah, life. Yeah, I did that the other day, and I, <laughs> yeah, had, I, had to, I had to do the full like cough, spit out move. Like, it was yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah, it's so bad. But yeah, I love a good chocolate cream pie, especially if it's homemade um, and if it's – especially if it's my grandma making it. Um, that's my dessert choice, but uh, I know it's that chocolate one. cream pie is not everybody's favorite. No, I won't look. If, if chocolate cream pie isn't your favorite, well, I want to hang out with you. Like, at, least, <laughs> at least if that's something that like on the table and you're hungry yeah. and you got a sweet yeah. tooth and that still somehow isn't on your plate, I don't want to talk right. to you. You know what's uh, funny real quick before you exactly. get into your pick um, is my grandma will make like three or four pies. And so like when we're done with dinner, she'll go around and ask, what kind of pie do you want? And I will just kind of give them the stare. Like you're not you choosing know. chocolate cream pie. You, know. you are you choosing know. the other pie because I won't eat the other ones. Yeah. You could absolutely choose your apple pie or cranberry pie or whatever. I'm not even sure if cranberry pie is a thing, but yeah, it's, it is very important to me that I get that chocolate cream pie. Well, again, if you grow up, I don't know how your family works, but in mine, it is cutthroat on leftovers. You want leftovers. Guess what? You better make a claim real early in the night. Otherwise <laughs> those leftovers are going somewhere else. Totally. Um, for me, I guess my dessert, my aunt makes a very good one, and I will probably put this in there, and it counts because it's pumpkin. She makes an excellent pumpkin cheesecake. And oh, like, if, if you like that kind of like cinnamony, pumpkin-y with like the kind of cheesecake texture slash mouthfeel, mm. um, <laughs> it, is, it is phenomenal. So if you're nice. going to tell me I get dark turkey, uh, some dark meat turkey with some mashed potatoes, candied yams, Corn slash cornbread and a pumpkin cheesecake. I am set. I am home. I am money. Give me that. I'm all. I'm all good. I don't even remember what I took, but I know I'm really hungry. And yeah, now we are right, and you're really yeah. upping it up. You yeah, had you know uh, what'd you pick? You had mac and cheese, green bean casserole, white meat, stuffing, 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 and, and that yeah. was your number one, and then yeah. your chocolate pie. Yeah, that sounds pretty darn good to me. You know, I've never actually had a pecan pie or a pecan pie or a pecan Ooh, pie. Um, change that. I, I I assume I would I would uh, like what 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 does it taste like? Like what does a it's pecan sugar? Pie it's sugar, cinnamon, and nuts. Okay, I, I could eat like that. If you like, like, if you like yeah. that style, but just like sure. that kind of like kind of more molassesy sugar because it's just been cooked up and kind of boiled up the same way you'd get in like a theoretical apple pie. But yes. Is it crunchy? Like with, with yeah. the pecans? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, well it depends again on how you cook it, but usually you have some like either raw or lightly toasted ones on top. And then sure. you have like a good pie crust to go along with it. Nice. Yeah. That's your crunch. You know, who has a good cheesecake too. Costco. Costco has a good cheesecake. I can honestly yeah. say I've never had the cheesecake from Costco before. It's, it's a weird thing. Of course, us Pacific Northwesterners are more Costco reliant, I think, because the company literally started there and it's still a big, big part of our basically our economy. But yeah, the Costco <laughs> cheesecake is actually pretty good. I All right. just I'll, thinking I about that while I was looking at it. Uh, next time I make my mom drive me there so I can <laughs> mass bulk buy before I come back to New York City and everything is 40% more expensive. Sounds I'll make sure I, I'll make sure I uh, pass by the cheesecake style. I will ask you about it on the next couple of shows. I look forward to it. Well, that just about finishes up our show for today. 
If you like what you're hearing, please make sure you're subscribed to Circling the Basis wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. Five stars, always welcome. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Don't Lie, and you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. No show Friday morning due to the holiday, so make sure you come hang with us again this time next week. So until then, stay safe out there. Have a tremendous Thanksgiving holiday with all of your loved ones. And as always, thanks for the listen. Dom Smith, if you need a place to stay for Thanksgiving weekend, you know where I am. <laughs>